Hello everyone, it's Olga Azar from SEO Slide. This is SEO podcast by SEO Slide. Today I have a very special guest. This is Lily Ray. I've been a huge fan of Lily. Lily, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great as well. Thank you. So if someone doesn't know you from the audience, but I doubt this is the case, can you can you briefly introduce yourself? What are you up to? What do you do? Yeah, of course. Um, so my name is Lily Ray. I have the title of uh, Senior SEO Director and Head of Organic Research at an agency called Amps of Digital, uh, based in New York City and, and around the US. Um, I help lead our SEO department there, which is now 35 plus people and counting. Um, oh. It's a lot, we're growing really fast. Um, I do a lot of different things. So I, I help lead the SEO team. There's some other directors that help with that as well. Um, and I also do a lot of like research about what what's happening in the SEO space. So a lot of my role also has to do with like being at different classes, doing research, writing articles, sharing a lot of my ideas, um, but also client work as well. So uh, also do like audits and focus a lot on Google's updates and things like EAT as well. Okay. 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 Can you can you briefly tell me what were what were your beginnings in SEO? What year you started? How did did this entire story started for you? Yeah, uh, I've actually been doing as my profession for my pretty much my entire adult life. Um, uh-huh. um, my first experience technically doing like website management or even like e-commerce management, I was actually 15 years old. It was like one of my first jobs. And I worked at a musical instrument store where I helped manage the website. It's like HTML stuff and things like that. So it kind of dates back to like when I was pretty young, but um, when I was about 19 or 20 and I was uh, finishing up college at NYU, I uh, found a social media marketing slash SEO job um, on Craigslist. And it was one of the only jobs at the time that was actually paying money. It was still like the recession here in the US and people were having a lot of trouble making money. So it was a paid job. Um, I learned about meta keywords and Google analytics and link building and things like this really, really early on and uh, totally fell in love with it. Changed uh, direction entirely from what I was studying in school, which was politics. And yeah, decided to not go to law school, which thankfully I didn't do that. And (laughs) I've been working (laughs) in SEO ever since. Wow. So, so you are like into, I would say 15 more, more than 15. I'm I would say like I'm not 12, sure. yeah. yeah, 12, like purely SEO, but you know, uh, it's been my entire adult life really, so yeah. Okay, okay, and you are quite, I think, famous for also being a DJ, right? So how do you, is it your, is it like your second job or is it only a passion? Technically, it's a job because I get paid sometimes, although, uh, you know like any any musician or artistic job it's not very much money but <laughs> um <laughs> been uh i've been doubling as like a some version of like a nerd and a musician for my entire life so uh in high school i like you know honors classes and got good grades and all these things and then at night i drove to san francisco and played in rock bands like every night <laughs> Um, oh. so it's kind of the same thing I've been doing my whole life. Uh, just kind of having like a double life, uh, the DJing thing for sure. Like my favorite creative outlet, 
um, musical outlet right now. And uh, I do it pretty frequently. So probably like these days, it's kind of like once a week on average that I'll play somewhere. Oh, I do a lot. Yeah. Live stream or something. But it's been really awesome to, to continue having a double life. <laughs> yeah. And I think there is also like the sporty side of you, right? Yeah, that's another thing I try to fit in there. <laughs> um, try to work out as much and go biking and things like that. Because, you know, it's like it, it kind of fuels everything else. I know you you run as well and do a lot of exercise. Yeah. It's like it definitely helps you stay healthy and productive and happy. And I, I can't say enough of the benefits of, of being fit, having, you know, a good fitness routine. Yeah. So, so what, what exactly do you do? Because I, I'm pretty, uh, because I don't think I am, I got it entirely. So you, you do biking, right? And what else? Yeah. I've been doing mostly group fitness classes for like 10 years. So, um, uh -huh. a lot of spinning, I actually got spin certified at one point. Um, a lot of cycling, I bike all over New York city. I bike whenever I travel pretty much everywhere. <laughs> And, oh. uh, Lately, Barry's Boot Camp is my favorite obsession. So that's a, a gym, group fitness gym that you can find in many cities around the world. And it's treadmill and calisthenics. And it's very, very hard, but very effective. Oh, I haven't, haven't heard about this yet. Oh, yeah. you should try it. It's the best. Uh-huh. I might try it one day. Sure. <laughs> okay. So what's your, I think I know the answer to the, that question, but what's your favorite thing in SEO? Is it EAT, Google Algor Algorithms? Am I correct? Yeah, I guess so. I think uh, it's funny because like, I guess people know me and a lot of what I talk about, but like I've been doing SEO for such a long time that like that those, those concepts even really exist for most of my SEO career, you know, like I used to do a lot of e-commerce. I used to do Amazon SEO, uh, retail, CPG, so many things. Site migration. I was much more focused on technical SEO several years ago. Um, oh. So I've done a lot of things. But uh, I think the whole EAT and algorithm updates thing is definitely the most interesting side of SEO for me right now because it's not it's not easy to understand or quantify. Yeah, you know. Like it's not core web vitals where it's just a checklist. It's like it requires a lot of critical thinking. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So if you were to <clears throat> if you were to say how how do search how do Google how 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 does uh, how does Google or how do other search engines determine the website's EAT? What would you say? Yeah, it's a hard one, right? Because they don't give us too much information. Like mo most of the information you can get comes directly from the search quality guidelines, which it's 160 pages. So there's a lot in there. And if you read it carefully, I think it gives a lot of clues about what, what Google at least thinks is good and bad EAT. But of course, this is a huge debate in the SEO space. So, you know, it's never like something super simple you know like putting an author bio yes of course everyone always thinks that author bios are synonymous uh -huh. with good eat it's not the only thing that matters uh, it's so what I think are some opinion, other things <laughs> yeah in my opinion it's it's more about topical coverage and topical uh -huh. authority so if your site has always shown expertise and authority and has received links and has great content about health and medical content, for example, you're probably going to have good EAT about health and medical content. But if that same site tomorrow decides to start publishing product reviews or dictionary definitions of words, it's like 
that's not what you have EAT to do, right? So we keep seeing this in the space. It's like people that get into areas where they don't have authority are going to have much more trouble ranking on those topics. Yeah, but I believe at some point, all those, for example, news websites started to, for example, create affiliate sections of their sites where they started to review like crazy different types of products because they had those sites had have like a huge, huge EAT. So they were kind of, I would say, able to use their EAT for different benefits, like for affiliate affiliate stuff, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. And it's, a, it's the biggest observation that I think I've had this year, 2022, is that Google knows that, you know, Google knows not only news and publisher sites, but so many different types of sites have entered into the product review space, the affiliate space for obvious reasons, you know, it's harder and harder to make money on in from organic search. So people have to explore these different monetization strategies, but we've had five product review updates in two years. We've had core updates that seem to be making it harder for, for affiliate sites to come. And so, yes, everyone's trying it, but Google's getting more and more strict and it's becoming a much more competitive landscape. Yeah, sure. And, and like recently, like last week, I think uh, ChatGPT started to, to become more visible. People are are at the, at the moment I'm recording this using it like crazy. And what are your thoughts on that regarding EAT? Because like everyone now can create, uh, they could create some content with EAT, but now it, it became even better because it looks like this content is, at least I was having a lot of conversations about EAT with ChatGPT. It really produces some nice insights. So yeah, what are yeah. your thoughts on how we'll be doing, dealing with that? It's definitely the hottest topic in the SEO space right now. And it's for obvious reasons, it's like, it's, it's incredible. It's just absolutely mind boggling. These, these tools can come. Um, I, I'm confident at least for now that Google is still smarter than tools. Like Google still is going to be capable of largely seeing, not necessarily always identifying what's AI content or not, but the difference with EAT is like when you're a person with experience, a significant experience doing something, you have unique original ideas thing that the by definition, a content can't access ideas. And I think people would debate, but um, you know, when you when you talk to these tools about EAT, yes, they produce incredible, helpful results. But if you read between the lines, like someone like me who focuses on EAT all the time, I see certain things that are like, eh, that's not exactly 100% true. Also, this is the same thing everybody else has said by definition. You've, you've crawled the whole internet and you've just regurgitated the same thing. Um, you know, like, let's say for me, if I finished an audit and I have this brand new idea about EAT, publish that, but that's going to be a completely new original idea that the tools don't have. So I think the future of EAT and high quality content will be Google finding those gaps where something new was added to the conversation. Because I don't think the AI tools, at least for now, are not going to be able to replicate that. Yeah, yeah, let's hope so, because it's going to be, I don't know. Yeah. Let's think it won't, it won't happen for now. Okay, so if someone someone comes to you, they 
want to improve EAT, what would you say? What should they work on if you were to name a few things? Of course, I'm not talking only about bio, but let's say a owner of a small website is coming to you and they asking and then and they ask for advice. What should I do to improve EAT in my in the eyes of Google? Yeah, it's um, a lot of it's, you know, the same fundamental SEO strategies that we should be following anyway. So, you know, creating good quality content, um, producing really helpful, you know, answers to all the possible questions. If you're new and you don't have a lot of website, you know, like authority or links or anything like that, you do want to start with like kind of answering those long tail questions that maybe only an expert would have really good answers to and just building authority, building up links. Um, I do think, and people debate me on this all the time, but I do think having a person behind it is, a, is very important or people behind it. So like not just putting an author bio, but like personal brands for those people or cultivating brands where Google's not graph knows who they are. Um, you can find them on social media. There's pictures of them that are not generated, <laughs> you know? Like evidence that these are real people contributing to the content. I do, I do believe, again, people debate me on this, but I do believe who you are in many cases lends itself to your ability to rank on certain topics. And I think that's going to be the future of where Google's going. Yeah. And if let's say I am a, I am a vet and I'm creating a website about some, about, about dogs, but no one heard about me and I have no like existence on the web. How, how long would it take me? What would I have to do to prove to Google that I am actually a knowledgeable person and I am qualified to talk about dogs or cats? Totally, yeah. It's funny because this is actually becoming part of the process. This is part of my audits, part of our team's audits. You know, uh -huh. when, we, when we think about EAT, it's, it's not just, um, you know, it's, it's not the way SEO used to be. A lot of it's now becoming personal branding, Uh, social media marketing, building, you know, these, these like influencer personalities where Google says, oh, I know that person wrote that book. Like one example that just popped into my head is like, uh, mm -hmm. I should know the author's name. I forgot her name, but the woman, I think it was a woman, maybe it was a man, I forgot. But the author who wrote What to Expect When You're Expecting, which is like a very famous pregnancy book from, I guess, like the 80s or 90s and now a great website with great content. It's so like linked between the person that wrote it, the author, and the book and their ability to rank like yes of course they have great content but i really do think like that person's brand that like the personal brand name and the the ut for that person contributes to a lot of their ability to rank on pregnancy topics so you know a lot of this has to do with like working with the experts at the company to just build out what google knows about them uh-huh and do you think google is able to recognize that someone wrote this article even though for example their name is not on this article like a ghost writer who is a veterinarian and i hired him to write uh, on my blog but they don't want to put their name uh, on the on, on the on the article but they have the knowledge would you say google can can say that this is the author Yeah, there's a few different patents that uh, I spoke about and wrote about a couple of years ago. I worked with Bill Slowski um, to write about some of these patents. And it, it's fascinating because it was like there is a patent that Google has filed for and been granted that allows them to understand 
language based on the author, like the author's writing, even when it doesn't say the author's name. Now, I think that that's limited to a certain subset of authors who are very have a very clear writing style, and Google has a very big corpus corpus of text that they've analyzed with like Shakespeare. You know, it can probably yeah. identify Shakespeare when it, they don't say the word Shakespeare. Because, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like it's not going to be every author on the internet. There's another that um, enables Google to understand, classify the content into like uh, like a student level or an expert level or what they call like a lay person level. So like tiers of authoritativeness or expertise in the writing style, which I think is probably the most important one. That was from 2018. So even if Google doesn't know who the author is, I think that the style and the tone and the vocabulary and the language itself can kind of demonstrate whether or not they're an expert. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that's a good one. Yeah, okay. And you probably, yeah, you do a lot of EAT audits, right? So can you like uncover some of the steps you, you take when you are trying to, when you're auditing, analyzing the site in terms of EAT and how well EAT optimize, if we can say say this way, the site is. It's a really challenging process because the one thing we know for a fact, and Google said this many times, is they look for signals on the page that align themselves with what they define as good. So good EAT is outlined in the search quality guidelines, and human evaluators rate and scores based on how well the pages meet those expectations and the guidelines. And then the algorithm mimic that. Like the algorithms try to match up with what humans have just determined as good EAT. So what they're looking for is signals on the page. We don't know what those signals are. We know that there's probably millions of them. And so if you think about it, everything is a pot potential EAT signal. So when you think about it that way, the audits require looking at patterns, looking at the data at scale and seeing, oh, the people that are doing this really well all tend to have this thing, like an author biography or really clear headlines or external linking to the Mayo Clinic or something. It's like looking for those patterns and seeing where your site doesn't have those signals is really how you do the audits, but it's so much work. It's so complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I can imagine. So how many, yeah, maybe I cannot imagine. How many hours does it take you to create such, a, such an audit? It depends on how big the site is. Um, 40 like or 50 average, at least. You... 40 or Sorry? 50, yeah. Like 40 oh. or 50 hours, yeah, yeah. And how do you deliver it? Is it like a document with with explanations, your thoughts? Yeah, generally speaking, we, you know, my team, we have like a whole auditing team now um, helping me at my agency. Uh, we we uh, deliver very, very large documents, you know, Word documents and uh -huh. explaining everything. And it's never the same from site to site. So I think one of the things that's, that's interesting and new about this is that, you know, with SEO agencies, you know this, to be scalable, to be, uh, you know, uh, cost efficient and, and to have good margins and everything like that, we need to find solutions that are easily repeatable, efficient, yeah. things we can outsource, things we can use, AI content, like all these things yeah. that save us time. But these audits, you can't, like you de by definition, yeah. you can't. There isn't a checkbox. If anyone's using a checkbox to analyze EA, it's 
a good starting point, but it does not get to the root of the problem. So every one of these audits takes a really long time. You know, we end up with a really big document that's fully custom from site to site. And then we usually have lots of different like charts, spreadsheets and, and exports that we use on the clients as well. Okay. And based on your experience, uh, is EAT more, of course, I guess it is more important for like strictly medical websites, but is it like now important for all, all types of websites, even for the websites which are like not uh, your money, your life, or at least not, not strictly your money, your life, but like are about some things like funny pictures of cats and dogs or something like more, more, more like uh, entertaining in nature. Do you find a lot of differences here regarding EAT? Yeah, I do think, uh, first of all, me personally, and I think plenty of SEOs would argue this one, but uh, I think it's important for every site, not just because of Google, but because there's nothing in the guidelines about EAT that isn't also a good recommendation for businesses in general. Like all these things are user experience. All these things are good for conversion. So like, just do it anyway, yeah. <laughs> first of all. Um, yeah, but uh, I don't know. It's, it's just like, it, it's, it's Google changed the guidelines this year. So Google changed the search quality guidelines this year to, I think, recommendation that EAT is necessary for all types of sites. Like if you read it a couple of years ago, they had this whole list of categories where EAT was important or where they considered the sites to be your money or your life. So like e-commerce and shopping and all these things. And they changed it this year. So it's not about the naming of the categories. It's actually about how much the website can cause harm to users. Mm -hmm. And that could be harm in the sense of like, you're becoming a violent extremist. It's obviously one version, but like self-harm, you know, harm to your own safety, harm to your own health situation. And a lot of sites fall into that category, but not that many sites. So like reading about, you know, photos of puppies is not going to cause harm to the user. You don't need to become the, the best vet in the universe to rank for that content. But um, again, I think it's a good branding strategy in general. So the more that you're site can cause harm the more it matters but i think everybody should be looking at the future of where search engines are going and should be focusing on these tactics yeah okay okay thanks and uh, do you think um do you have can you can you share some maybe some case study some example of the site you have been working on including uh, around eat and what like in impact it it had over over the weeks months years Yeah, there's one that I love because uh, this is the site that got me uh, really talking about EAT and focusing on EAT. It was a health and medical website, ironically using AI content generation back in 2017, 2018, and growing so quickly, growing to the point where it was ranking positions one through five for like tons of heart attack keywords and medical keywords. And when I started working on it, I was like, this is bad. Like, <laughs> this, is, uh-huh. this is not going to last forever. Uh, I think the, the pioneer site's going to get in trouble. AI. Yeah, this is early on. Early on. And um, one interesting thing is that a lot of the times when you see sites growing this quickly, there's the types of sites that get affected by updates. I think that like huge, quick SEO growth can send flags uh-huh. to Google. 
Um, but the medic update happened August of 2018 and they literally lost all of it like overnight. Oh. Yeah. And it was devastating. Not my first experience losing all the SEO visibility overnight, but uh, it's, it's really horrible for the business, you know? And they decided to do the right thing. It took a really long time, but for two years, we worked on a EAT focused strategy. They actually relaunched the site entirely. They got rid of a lot of the AI content, started working with doctors <laughs> oh. and it, it worked. We didn't get them back to where they were by any means. So it's a partial recovery, but it was a really significant increase in traffic, like maybe four or 500% from where mm -hmm. they hit rock bottom. Yeah. So, but wow. It takes a long time. <laughs> Yeah. takes a long time but and it's i i guess it's quite difficult um, usually to explain to the client that okay you now have to like focus on doing good things and it may take you two or three years <laughs> yeah or even yeah and they so, need to hear so, that yeah so this site uh, recovered after one of the one of the next Google core updates or it recovered par partially with one update then with another? How, how did this recovery happen? Yeah, good question. It's actually a really rare case where the, the recovery didn't even happen during a core update. And like oh. nine, yeah, nine times out of 10, it, it, you have to wait for another update to see a big impact. Yeah. But uh, this was a site migration where they did, they went from like a problematic site to a very EAT focused site. And I've never seen this happen before, but overnight, huge, huge increase in rankings and traffic, like within a week or two weeks. Uh -huh. Never seen that happen with a site migration before. Um, that was really exciting because it was like, oh wow, this works. And then the, the most interesting thing was after that with con like subsequent core updates, they went up, up and up each time. Mm -hmm. So it's a long game. Okay. Okay, yeah, I, I once had a similar similar story with migration. It was a lawyer site and it was like totally not optimized. And after the migration, it was like after a core update. <laughs> so, Amazing. Yeah. yeah, this is so nice. It's so nice when that happens. Yeah, it's very rare yeah. when it happens. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so talking about uh, core updates, because I guess this is your next next thing. You specialize in core updates. Are they connected to EAT a lot? I think every core update has a EAT component. Um, I think it, it manifests itself in different ways. So like, you know, the, the August 2018 core update that we call the medical update. Yeah. Yes, of course, it affected more than just medical sites, like, of course, but it, it disproportionately medical sites that, you know, I work on a lot of them and we got a lot of business from medical sites right afterwards that were like what happened like even like drug rehab for example was very heavily affected by that update so you have to think about what google's goals are um i think in 2016 through 2019 and then 2020 going into covid they were very focused on not you know spreading misinformation about uh disease and illnesses and vaccines and covid and things like this so that that largely played a big role in those core updates Uh, this year, we're seeing core updates that seem to affect a lot of news sites and product review sites. We also have the product review updates. So like, you could argue that EAT is a big part of all those updates because EAT is a big part of SEO in general. But I think uh, the nature of the updates are changing recently. So it's not just EAT. It's also things like 
high quality, you know, affiliate and news content as well. And then we have the helpful content blended into that as well. <laughs> so many updates, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which adds, yeah, even more complexity. Okay, so, but regarding those uh, Google Core updates, how would you explain to, to someone who is not an expert in SEO, what is a core update and how we shouldn't treat it? Because I, I, you can hear a lot of people saying that my site was penalized during a core update. And I guess this is not necessarily the way we should be thinking about core updates, like a penalty, right? Yeah, it's hard because like, you know, even when you're doing everything right, you can sometimes be negatively impacted by a core update. We saw that with the last core update, like a lot of sites that I think a lot of people would agree have really good SEO, really good content quality, great ET, all these things, lines. And a lot of the time it's like, if Google's just changing the landscape or it's changing its understanding of intent, or maybe the pandemic is really bad and they have to show the CDC and the Mayo Clinic and the New York Times and other very trusted sites, even though you're doing everything right, if you're not the Mayo Clinic or the FDA or the CDC, you're not going to rank. So it's like, it's it's not always a reflection of your SEO. And it's hard for companies to, to realize that. But uh, it's still important to try to get an understanding of what happened. If you lost rankings, at the very least, you should look at who's ranking now. Sometimes it's mm -hmm. going to be your competitor and sometimes it's not. And when it's not, it's very hard to compete with core updates because they're just like relevancy shifts in many cases. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and recently, did you see a lot of affiliate sites being affected by core updates? Because I guess you have probably reviewed way more sites than I did. So is it, are they affected by core updates now more than by Google product reviews updates? It has news content and product review content, and the site is largely a product review site. And September 21st, 2022, was a day when the core update and the product review update were rolling out at the exact same time, and they ended on September 26th, both updates. Mm -hmm. So by definition, you'll never know which one is which. And that's not fair. And Google does that. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> come on, man. They did that last year too. They did that page experience update, the June core update, the July core update, the spam update at the exact same time. So we don't really know which is which in some cases, but uh, yes, the product review updates are obviously affecting affiliate sites, but I also think core updates are becoming more aggressive with affiliate content and the helpful content update also is looking the quality SEO over-optimized, in some cases, AI content. So they all kind of look at the same things, which is nice. If you're doing things right for the core updates and the product review updates, you're doing things right in general. So you shouldn't really care too much about which is which and just follow all the guidelines. Uh-huh, yeah, sure. And regarding core updates versus Google product reviews updates, what's like the difference? Is it only the difference that this, this one targets product reviews websites like or have you yeah. noticed any other like differences in how we would approach both when we want to analyze a site that could potentially lose yeah it's a good question um technically there's there's some differences for sure like technically the product review updates should only be affecting 
product review content. And according to Google, this is largely going to be page level. So like if you have product review pages, those might be affected by the update. Um, they've also said, if your site is largely a product review site, most of the content is product reviews. You can feel it in more of like kind of a large scale site-wide kind of fashion, but core updates, and again, plenty of people will debate this one, but from what I've seen, core updates are site-wide. I think those of us that work on core updates will know <laughs> we see uh -huh. it's site-wide, which means that Yes, it might disproportionately impact certain topics or certain folders or certain pages more than others, but the ranking declines are going to be really much across the board. Mm -hmm. Like you'll probably lose 70 to 90% of your rankings in all categories. Not just one. Okay. And in product reviews, updates, like your specific one page can just lose traffic, the one that was giving you a lot of traffic, right? In theory, yeah. You know, it's it's tricky because a lot of the sites that do product reviews, like almost all the sites do product reviews. So that's a lot yeah. of what I've been I've been working on. Uh, so uh -huh. it's it's hard. They feel it everywhere. They don't just feel it on certain pages. You know, they feel like the whole site. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. And what are some of the I would say worst things you noticed on the sites you were you were analyzing that lost traffic after? products like the product reviews website affiliate sites what are the worst things you you noticed yeah it's uh it's it's really tough because um you know google's cracking down on these sites really hard and you know uh if you don't provide ample evidence that you've done testing even if you have done testing testing <laughs> Or like, even if you have spent a lot of time with the product, like you're probably going to lose a lot of visibility with these updates. Um, the Wirecutter, which is owned by the New York Times, is the best example of a site that goes way overboard to explain how it tests everything. But the reality is that that's a really, really expensive process. That's a really expensive business model. Not every publisher site can do that or has yeah. a lab to do tests and experiments. And a lot of the companies we're dealing with are like, well, yeah, like, you know, I, I wore the Fitbit for a, a couple of months and this is what I have to say about it, but I didn't test all the different models of Fitbits in a lab for yeah. six months, you know? <laughs> so that's where Google's going hard. and it's hard to compete. Yeah, it's very, very hard. Yeah, you're right. It's, and even though, even 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 if I am very passionate about this specific equip, equi equipment, it's not like doable for me to test it to test all of this. Even if I have some unique like insights about this specific one. So yeah, yeah. Is... I mean, I think the good thing at least is that like there were way too many sites just being lazy, putting Amazon Amazon views on a website and then pretending like that was a product review. Uh -huh. Like that, that's not a product review. That's just copy pasting people's ideas. Uh -huh. So I like that it's harder to compete in that sense because that's just lazy. Yeah, you're right. And one more question regarding product reviews update. Do you notice on your, based on your experience that it also affects e-commerce websites that are not strictly affiliate websites? Yeah, there's... There's some um, like evidence in some instances where like buying guides or roundups, you know, especially when we go back to your own website, like 
these are the five best things to buy at this store that we're the, we're the store. Uh-huh. <laughs> like all, okay. all the links go to our pages. Like they literally, Google says we literally want a diversity of links so the shopper can have different options yeah. of where to buy it. That's tricky. But um, actually, I think a lot of e-commerce sites have benefited from the product review updates because like Amazon, Best Buy, Target, um, eBay, Etsy, a lot of the sites where you can buy the products sometimes earn rankings when product review sites go down. So like the Uh December, 2021 product review update, I think it was, it was like Amazon, Walmart, Best Buy, Target saw huge increases in rankings. And I think it's because a lot less product review content was ranking in the top results. Okay. Okay. And how do you, how do you like uh, analyze those patterns? What tools do you use? How do you, how do you, how, how, how are you able to say that uh, those types of sites like, benefited from this update what's your process yeah, good, for that good question it is the most painstaking tedious difficult annoying work if somebody can uh-huh. automate this and i can uh looking manually at the serp before and after for a certain uh-huh. keyword uh i've been using systrix for this historically systrix is the only tool that i know about that has this data Ahrefs just launched their own version of it, which is a game changer. Uh, but someone still has to go do the work and say, this is Nike sneakers is the keyword. And before the update, uh-huh. this is what the SERP looked like. After the update, this is what the SERP looked like. This site went down. This site went up. This is a product review page. This is an e-commerce page. <laughs> it's like okay. it takes forever. <laughs> and it's one of the reasons why my title is head of organic research is because my company enables me and affords the ability for me to do this type of research. Most companies can't and don't. And so I feel very lucky that I work at an agency that supports me doing this type of work because sometimes I spend all day just trying to figure out what happened. Uh-huh. And it's like, that's not necessarily servicing clients, but that's looking for patterns that will help us inform better strategies for our clients. Yeah. And, and hardly anyone has yes has has time and possibility to do that and this is like yeah. i would say extremely valuable thing to do and yeah yeah i think so too okay so what does your normal day look like tell me about this <laughs> it depends on the day and the week and the month i have i have a lot of different roles and responsibilities mm-hmm. um i think people probably imagine that i like in one of these talking heads that just goes and speaks at conferences all the time without mm-hmm. doing the work, which I get because I speak a lot, um, but that's actually not true at all. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I have a lot of jobs. Um, every morning, my team and I meet uh, for about 20 or 30 minutes every day on Zoom, and all 35 of us share ideas. We read articles together. We, we talk to our clients. We show new tool demos. Talk to different people in the industry about different topics. Like, I have all these amazing friends in the industry that join these meetings and just share ideas with us, like AI content, link building, and Google News, and all these things. Mm -hmm. We learn a lot together. Um, I have various clients that I work on, whether it's supporting our team with strategy, joining client calls, doing a lot of pitches with new clients, um, doing audits. I've been doing a lot more audits lately, where that's literally me just digging through data and writing research and reports all day. Depends on the day and the week of the month, but uh, I do have a lot of speaking engagement lined up for next year. So I'll be doing a lot of traveling and speaking as well. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the destinations you will be visiting? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's a dream because I love travel. So it's so cool that, you know, SEO enables uh, a lifestyle like this. It's really, really cool. Um, let's see. I'm going to SMX Munich. I'll be keynoting in Munich, Germany. Um, Spain. So on the beach oh. in Murcia, Spain. Uh, London. There's an e-commerce event called ReSignal. That's in March. I uh, actually just confirmed that I'll be doing uh, the Chiang Mai conference in Thailand in November. Oh. It's just figuring out how to get from New York to Thailand. <laughs> it's like 24-hour trip. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a lot. It's a, it's a whole year full of travel. I also do want to keep doing some talks in Spanish because that's, that's really been a beautiful thing to share knowledge with the Spanish-speaking SEO uh -huh. community as well. So Probably something there, yeah. Are you very proficient at Spanish? Yeah, like it depends. Uh, depends on the day. <laughs> yeah, I, I am. I think I'm a uh, sixty to seventy percent fluent and uh -huh. understand probably ninety ninety percent. Oh, so that's nice. So, yeah, it's yeah. cool. It's a lot of Spanish speaking. Yeah, that's that's nice. So you are comfortable talking to Aleida Solis, right? <laughs> yeah, we we've done some talks together in Spanish. We actually did a. We did a really cool panel last this year, earlier this year in uh, Madrid, where we spoke with uh, Claudio Cabrera and MJ Cachon from other SEOs in Spanish publicly. It was my first time doing like an actual answering questions and things in uh -huh. Spanish. It was very rewarding, very, very fun in Spain. Yeah, yeah that's great. <laughs> okay, so how do you stay up to date with SEO? Is it like Twitter? Are these your meetings? Are these your meetings with your team or... Do you do, do yeah. you read newsletters? What do you do? It's so funny because like the past probably four years, three, four years of my life, like SEO has become a very big part of my social life. Not my only social life. There's a lot else going on there, but <laughs> <laughs> a lot of SEO friends, you know, a lot of the speakers that I've been watching for my whole career are now friends, which is so, so cool and so interesting. Oh. So a lot of my life is like, these are my friends on Facebook. These are my friends on, you know, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. And just because of that and Slack, different Slack groups and everything, it's like, it's just part of my life and what I see and what gets shared in my social media all the time. So that's just a big, even on weekends, I'm reading SEO stuff because it's in my feed, you know? Um, yeah. That's a big part. Too. But Twitter. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's the same for you, right? It's like Twitter, uh, Slack, and then, yeah, my team as well. Uh-huh. And uh, coming back to your, uh, how how many hours per week can you say do you work? Do you, so you work over weekends, you at least do some analysis, right? Some reading? Yeah, it's, uh, it's like a whole, this is a whole hot topic as well, right? Like work-life balance. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I ebb and flow, you know, sometimes things are kind of slow and I'm just like, maybe there's no updates and it's like, I don't have to work as much. I can chill a little bit, do some light research. Uh -huh. And that's a more normal work week, probably 40, 45 hours of work, um, which I think sounds like a lot in some places around the world, but it's not a lot in New York. Um, <laughs> uh -huh. Other weeks, like the past two weeks, 60, 70 hours, including oh. weekends and nights. Yeah. Cause there's deadlines, there's the end of the year, there's all these things. So it changes. Um, but, you know, probably 45 to 50 hours is my average uh -huh. work week. Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. 
can you recommend some SEO book, some SEO resource you have recently read, or maybe not recently, something you can recommend that other SEOs should should use, read? Yeah, I, I struggle with the books. I think there's a lot of fantastic SEO books out there, but the, my, my problem with them and the problem with books, the nature of books in general, is that by the time you're reading it, it's already out of date. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Maybe not in a big way. SEO largely stays the same, but the rules change every day. You know this. Uh huh. Yeah. Things You're change right. every day. Rel prev and rel next pagination. Overnight, it became not yeah. important for Google anymore. And now, if the book says that, it's like you're learning something that's outdated information. So that's books are hard. But I, I do always recommend the Moz Beginner's Guide to SEO. Uh, Aleda has a wonderful resource called LearningSEO.io that's always updated. Um, I think Blue Array has some really great training courses. I mean, there's so many. I don't want to like miss important ones, but Moz Beginner's Guide is, and of course, Google Search Central, their own documents, probably the best yeah. place to start. Yeah. yeah, you're right. And talking about 2023, what do you think is the area of SEO we should be focusing on and we aren't focusing on right now enough? Yeah, um, I think... It's too many people continue to look for these simple explanations for things that are not so simple anymore. Too many people look for shortcuts like, oh, if I just tweak this one thing, you know, it's going to result in this great SEO traffic, you know, increase or ranking increase. And it's like, yeah, sometimes you'll see a short term boost in rankings and traffic. But if you're doing a lot of things like a lot of small tactics, especially ones that could be kind of seen as spammy, not very trustworthy, that's what gets you in trouble during core updates. And then you get a lot of sites coming to companies like mine, like, we don't understand, we've been doing everything right. And like, <laughs> no, you were doing a lot of small things that don't look very trustworthy, and you were getting away with it for a long time. And then you got in trouble. Like, that's what actually happened. Um, so you always have to be careful, even if you see a short-term gain because of a small tactic that you found that Google hasn't caught on to yet, just be careful about the long-term because your site can get in trouble. Yeah, that's, that's a great piece of advice. And for someone who is just starting out, what would, you, what would your advice be? Uh, read Google's documents. Don't read, don't trust everything you read on the internet. Um, believe it yeah. or not, Believe it or not, Google's not always great at ranking good content about SEO. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I'll give you an example. Um, helpful content update. Uh, myself and some other SEOs wrote what I believe are very comprehensive, very helpful articles about the updates based 100% in what Google's communications said about them. Mm -hmm. We don't rank at all. Um, we don't, it's kind of like a mystery. It's like, what, what happened to our pages? Why, why don't they rank? Uh, people that, I guess, wrote about it more recently get to rank. And a lot of the times you read the, 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 the language and it's like, that's not how it works. That's not correct. Uh -huh. So sometimes Google looks at factors that are not 100% not content accuracy. But yeah. um, if you read directly what Google says about certain things, um, you're not going to be... You're not going to be led astray because that's directly from the source. Yeah, yeah, I, I can totally relate to that. I have a few guides, which I think I don't want to like say that I am the best, but yeah, are yeah. better than what's already ranking because the things that are ranking are a few years old, haven't been totally. updated. 
and yeah, I am nowhere to be seen for some of them. <laughs> there's so many factors at play. It's like sometimes it's just they have more links or something, and it's like yeah. very frustrating when that happens. Yeah. But I noticed, for example, on Bing, I am like number one for for them for those spots. So it looks like Bing, at least in those cases, is looking more at my content than those other. I wish I wish <laughs> Bing had a bigger market share than it does. Yeah. You know, I wish Microsoft cared more about Bing because. Uh, it would be really nice to have a diversity of search engines. I think that'd yeah. be great for SEOs, yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay, and uh, the last question, uh, who, would you, uh, who would you recommend we should be following? Who we may not be following yet? What are some SEOs that, oh my goodness. that are so in your many. radar right now? I mean, Data Chaz, what's his, what's his actual name? <laughs> I should know this. <laughs> I think it's Chaz. Uh, uh -huh. his, his stuff is brilliant. He's been posting a really amazing technical advice, um, like especially with like the AI content and everything. Um, uh -huh. I have been saying Crystal Carter over and over. She's just amazing. I love the things she talks about. Uh, yeah. Mark Williams Cook, who does uh, people also at .com. He has really amazing content. There's an SEO on LinkedIn that does really good stuff. I think his name's Daniel Foley Carter or something. Uh-huh. Patrick Stocks is amazing. Roxana Stingu is amazing. Tori Gray. So many. I mean, you're amazing. Like Thanks. the list goes on and on. You're amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Kevin Indig. Oh my goodness. I, I don't want to leave anybody out, but uh yeah. so many, many, so many people. brilliant SEOs. And Aleda, of course. Yeah. yeah. Always follow Aleda. Yeah, sure. Okay, so where can people find you? Is it are you still on LinkedIn uh, on Twitter or have you moved to Mastodon? I post on both of the platforms. Uh -huh. um, watching Twitter's like collapse right now is pretty terrible. Uh, it's, uh -huh. it's, it's been such an amazing social platform for the past yeah. few years. It's like, that's my favorite one. Maybe it's showing my age, but like Twitter's the best. <laughs> it's not Instagram. It's not like pictures of us wearing bathing suits. It's yeah. like just our ideas and our thoughts. And it's really frustrating to see it potentially go away. Um, but yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Mastodon, and I have my own website. Uh, I'm on all of them. Okay. Okay. So Lily, thank you so much for spending this almost entire hour with me. I learned a ton. And You're I very welcome. The, yeah, I think the audience learned a ton too. So thank you. Thank you once again. And thanks everyone. And see you in the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks.